Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I am your host, Philiscope, and with me today, uh, back for the second time, is uh, Emma Stefanski, writer for Thrillist, culture critic, to talk about The X-Files. Um, I need to be completely uh, forthright. I have not watched every episode of The X-Files. Uh, I've seen uh, seasons. Uh, I've not seen it in its entirety. Um, I completely understand why it is the phenomenon that it is, but I was a big baby uh, when it aired and I was too scared to watch it, if I'm being completely frank. Um, but I have caught up on, you know, significant chunks of it over the years, but I wanted to bring on someone who is, you know, 
a diehard fan, a fan of this show. And Emma, thank you so much for coming on to talk about it with me. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I was so excited when you mentioned, yeah, we're also doing X-Files. I was like, oh my God, I have to do at least one. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because it does feel like, I mean, 1999 is season six of this show. You know, So yeah. it's getting pretty long in the tooth when you're doing 22 or 25 episodes and a movie like it's it's you know it's it's would you agree that it is sort of not as strong at this point as it was in say season three and four which is when i hear people were really in love with it three yeah three and four are just fantastic i mean it even starts really well it's one of those shows that's just like very strong immediately has its whole vibe pretty much set and then uh in, you know, in later seasons, it gets to play. But yeah, this sort of, this period of time, I feel like seems like they just kind of run out of ideas. <laughs> I mean, and Duchovny leaves shortly thereafter, right? I mean, is it, it's like season seven or eight that he starts to kind of reduce yeah. his role anyway. Yeah, um, and then it's just not the same after that. Well, yeah. I I, you know, <laughs> it's interesting that you talk about sort of, um, it does feel like a show that, knew itself from the jump and like it's it's a pilot that when you watch it you're like oh my god like this is so many shows have ripped this off since and obviously it was it's indebted to shows before it but i i just think it's really interesting how clean this premise is like it's Mm -hmm. just bulletproof it's crazy it's the perfect idea. It's like, it's a procedural, but it's also about like weird stuff. And then you get these two stars who are just immediately there's chemistry, not, you know, necessarily romantic chemistry. Although sure. happened later. But, uh, <laughs> it's yeah. just perfect. Uh, yeah. And I just, I just started rewatching it from the very beginning and mm-hmm. I just, the pilot is just so good. It's just a, such a good episode of television. Um, so how did it come into your life? I'm assuming that you were a little young when it first aired. I was a little young. Uh, <laughs> I watched it. I didn't watch it when it aired. I remember. I remember when it any was aired. Any of it? Any of it? When I it think aired. maybe the later ones. I think maybe I was too scared. But because um, <laughs> it is sort of creepy, and you you get this notion of the X Files even before you watch it. If it's like, I I know a lot of people who've never seen it who think it's like horror TV, mm-hmm. which it really isn't. Like it's more spooky. Yeah. 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 But I think as a child, I was like, that's too much for me. I was the real scaredy cat when I was young. As as was I, and I'm older than you, so I have less <laughs> of an excuse than being scared of it at the time. But I, I think that, you know, my show at the time was ER. As our listeners know, I was a very big fan of that show. And I wasn't watching a ton of television. And and the, the X-Files and ER premiered around the same time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there were immediate fans of the X-Files, which obviously is is much more sort of primed for a fan base yeah a show like er is um (laughs) but it it just was a show that i kind of was like you know what it's it's just not my thing um and i've subsequently watched you know as i mentioned many episodes of it It, it's i kind of wanted to because we're a bit we're going to talk about a standalone episode um so this show really sort of breaks i want to say new ground in a lot of ways in terms of having a pretty deeply serialized lane that it existed in and then also a monster of the week lane as well right so i don't know the exact percentages you might know this better than me but it's is it close to 50 50 in terms (laughs) of of serialization to to procedural i think it maybe is but like not in an annoying way because sometimes with sometimes with a format like this i'm just sort of like 
uh, you know, you start to miss when it was just one thing at a time. Yeah. But this brings in like the serialization come or the, yeah, the like overarching arc comes in sure. with Mulder and his sister. And he's like mm-hmm. obsessed with all these, um, all this weird <laughs> shit because yeah, because his sister got abducted. Maybe yeah. she did. She did. Um, she did. <laughs> it's, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> be amazing uh, if he was wrong though yeah. the whole season the whole show is just like yeah whatever it would just be like an examination of one man's like psychosis <laughs> <laughs> just, just denial and delusions yeah it'd be great um, but, I, but it does feel like what's interesting about the show I think is that in hindsight it feels as though the standalones have sort of built more love within the fan base than the mythology because spoiler the mythology kind of sucks. It's like not it that doesn't. It's not that interesting, and it doesn't pay off. I like, just don't care if his sister gets sorry, but like I, you, you know, know, it's not <laughs> interesting to me. Yeah, no, I. I but, but you know what I mean? Like it's 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 interesting because it feels as though there's there's a lot of lessons that were learned from this show when it comes to mythology. Because like, I mean, this show, by the way, is still going. We've had two like revivals that. The standalones people loved, mm-hmm. and the mythology stuff. People were like, "What the fuck is Chris Carter doing? It's the like, same why can't he leave it alone?" <laughs> it's just, it's really funny how like people have learned in theory, maybe how to stick a landing on mythology. But then I think about Lost and how people still, you know, bitch and complain about that finale, which I, I actually quite liked for all intents and purposes. But I guess this is my grander question to you, and this feels like a question. You know, you're the perfect person to ask this question to but what are your thoughts about mythology like do you think that it's possible to stick a landing i think and i mean this is coming from someone who obviously i don't work in television i yeah. don't work yeah. no, in, no, I know. in but storytelling I'm you, but i would say it's the same in franchises too i mean in yeah movies you know i think the problem comes in when and i don't know I'm sure there's a way to find this out. I don't know if I'm right about this, but I think the problem comes in where you start with a sort of vague notion of what the mythology is going to be, but you don't really have a nailed down like idea of how exactly it's going to pay off. I think the problem comes in when you just sort of start to build it without really knowing what's going to happen. And then you sort of realize like, oh God, I have to fix this. And then... (laughs) It ends up in disaster. For sure. I mean, to 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 speak to your to your point, and and as someone who's you know uh, co-created and worked on a mythological television show that was, I mean, I'd be lying if I said wasn't cut in some way or another from this show. um, You know, the the issue I think issue is the wrong word, but like I do think that J.J. Abrams, in his own way, kind of. I don't want to say ruined all of this, but did throw a pretty significant wrench into it because his whole thing seemed to be, let's just blow it up at the end of each season and we'll figure it out on the other side. And sometimes, quite frankly, you just can't figure it out on the other side in 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 a satisfying way. So, you know, this is a show that I think is sort of making it up as it's going along a little bit. And that's fun as a journey, but when it comes to a destination, it can lack the the satisfaction. I think, and I think that maybe it's impossible now for people to keep this in their heads. But for me, watching a show like that, where there's like a long journey to some payoff sure. that's going to come, you really have to understand that you're probably not going to be satisfied with the ending. <laughs> right, right. And I just watched 
all, all of Lost, mm. probably most of it for the first time. I did watch oh, wow. that show when it was on, but I kind of fell off the wagon because mm. I, I don't know. I was watching other stuff. Sure. I was watching Battlestar Galactica. I was keeping up. Another show that doesn't stick the landing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but then I just watched the finale, the very last episode of Lost for the first time. Mm. I'd never seen it. And I really liked it. And I yeah. think it was because I knew that that's where it was going to end up. Like I knew that there was the payoff was going to be some weird mystical thing that like yeah. the big reveal would be, it was like it nearly, and it was all a dream sort of idea. Sure, sure, sure. And I was ready for that. And I, I understand why everyone hated it when it aired because they were not ready for it. But I, I you know, it, it's funny because I, I would also say that, that to some degree or another, it feels like at a certain point, it became clear to Lindelof and co that, the characters are all that matters, right? Mm-hmm. And that we have to end this show in a satisfying way for the characters. In terms of the mythology, at a certain point, it's just bells and whistles. Like it's 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 just kind of jazz hands, right? Like it, it's there's there's, and I would argue that the X Files, as much as people love uh, Mulder and Scully, and justifiably so, it doesn't have sort of a deep bench of supporting characters, particularly, and it doesn't have sort of that the same sort of need to pay off a whole roster of people. And because of that, I wonder whether or not it's, there's this push and pull of like, what is Chris Carter really trying to say about his mythology? Like what is thematically all of it have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it doesn't have to, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just putting a pressure on it that it doesn't need. I, I mean, that, that's also possible too. Well, I, I know by now you've watched a bunch of these episodes mm-hmm. of the show, and uh, you've probably seen the the like the what happens at the end is more mm-hmm. often than not they really don't figure it out. No, nope. and <laughs> I think that's like a really good sort of overarching thesis for the show is that it's more interesting to sort of look at some unexplainable phenomenon for a little while mm-hmm. and get like an experience of it and then move on. And I think that like. Mm-hmm trying to get some sort of narrative happening where like there's going to be an ending and it's going to have some reveal is just completely the opposite of what the rest of the show is trying to do. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you know, the funny thing is that I actually think that that's encapsulated really well in the episode that we're going to talk about in a bit, which is that like the ideas of the episode, the vibe of the episode <laughs> is almost more interesting than, than its climax. Right. I mean, when, when, when it's all kind of revealed in a, in a kind of expo dump, that's kind of a deus ex machina, um, you're like, okay, sure. Fine. But like, everything up to it is great that you're just like, okay, I'm willing to see past the fact that it just kind of ends. Um, it, I don't know. I, I do. I really like this episode mostly yeah. just because I think all of the building of the episode yes. is really fun. Like watching Mulder and Scully try to be normal people is really fun. Yeah, all the yeah. creepy dinner parties are really fun. And then this like, Whatever's going on, I'm just like, okay, I guess there's yeah, something sure. going on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do want to give a little bit of a, a, a sort of 30,000 feet um, for people that if you're listening to this episode and you've never watched The X-Files, God bless <laughs> you for listening to this. But I'll, I'll, that being said, I'll give a little bit of context. Uh, the series revolves around Federal Bureau of Investigation Special Agents Fox Mulder, played by David Duchovny, and Dana Scully, played by Julian Anderson, who investigate The X-Files, which are marginalized, unsolved cases involving paranormal 
uh, phenomena. Uh, Mulder is obviously believes in the existence of aliens and paranormal activity. Scully, the medical doctor skeptic, uh, is assigned to scientifically analyze Mulder's discoveries. Um, the X-Files received very positive reviews from television critics when it was out. Uh, the Independent called the show one of the greatest cult shows in modern television. Time Magazine called the show a cultural touchstone of the 90s. Uh, the Evening Herald said the show had overwhelming influence on television in front of such shows as The Simpsons. And in 2012, Entertainment Weekly listed the show as number four in the best uh, cult TV shows uh, of the past 25 years, describing it as a, a pan uh, to oddball sci-fi, sci-fi fans, conspiracy theorists, and Area 51 pilgrims everywhere, which I think is a, a fair assessment. Uh, it received many awards over its nine-year run, including 62 Emmy nominations and 16 awards, uh, including outstanding writing for a drama series in uh, 95, I believe, and Gillian Anderson won for Best Actress in 97. Um, in terms of ratings, the show was interesting in the sense that it was sort of atypical, but also made sense for Fox as a network, which is that it had a fan base, they nurtured it, and thus they were sort of, it built and built and built. Um, Fox is sort of a network that allowed shows it's sort of both it allows shows to find its feet and also cancel shows too quickly sometimes yeah so it's sort of in between the two but but the show ultimately um you know it's it's ratings peak at around 27 million which is insane to think that 27 million people watched a show live but they did uh which i think was in that was the season five, which is crazy to think about. Wow. Um, and then it, it did, it had a post Super Bowl episode, uh, Leonard Betts. Is that an episode that you know? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a freaky one. That's the post Super Bowl episode. Yeah. And that got about no 30 million idea. people watching it. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is pretty incredible. Uh, so I need funny. to watch that episode clearly because I've never seen it. Yeah. Um, it's so good. So this particular episode, which we're talking about, is Arcadia. Um, It aired, I will give a brief synopsis, several disappearances at an idyllic planned community lead Mulder and Scully to go undercover as a married couple. However, they soon discover that the president of the Homeowners Association takes the community covenants and regulations more seriously than they could have imagined. Uh, It aired on March 7th, 1999. It was written by Daniel Arkin, directed by uh, co-EP Michael Watkins. 18 million people watched the episode. Um, it received positive reviews at the time. Um, and uh, subsequently, people do praise it pretty significantly as sort of this standout, uh, standalone episode. Most likely a fan favorite because of the fact that, uh, as mentioned, uh, Mulder and Scully pretend as though they're married, which, you know, of course, people love I'm that. Just, I'm just so glad that they agreed to adapt my fan fiction. I'm just really... <laughs> I'm really flattered. And yeah, I think they did yeah. a really good it was job just for you. Yeah. Bring it to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people went crazy for this one. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Uh, I want to uh, note that Emily Vanderwerf of the, at the time, uh, at the AV Club, awarded the episode a B, called it a solid, solid example of the show's mid period form. However, she noted the episode is not one of the series' best, unlike the way many fans love it, due largely to Ponder and Scully pretending they're married, um, and that the monsters are, quote unquote, a little hard to. To figure out which I kind of agree with. We'll talk about the monster because it's a little bit, it's a little weird. Yeah. Um, but I, I, so let's just sort of talk about, um, I, I want to just dive into the big thing here, which is Mulder and Scully pretending they're married. Um, I, I want, because I feel like, I mean, you know this better than I do, but I've gleaned it just from existing in pop culture, but like 
what do you think it is about these two that works so well that that obviously there's the will they won't they which is just that's just human nature we love to see the push and pull cat and mouse blah 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 and there's the skeptic believer thing too but Duchovny and 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 Anderson have something and I'm not sure that I can articulate it and I'm curious as to sort of what you love so much about these two characters and these two actors I think what I like the most is that like sometimes with a a sort of pairing like this on a TV show of the two main characters that it's like, there's something going on. Maybe (laughs) there's like the, the sloppy way that it's done sometimes is like, they're kind of not very nice to each other. Or you get this dynamic where it's like the weirdo male character. And then the very buttoned up female character who's always sort of like, can we move on? Like it's that sort of like thing. And it bores me to tears. I hate it. And this show could have done that. And it never does. Because you get, you know, the weirdo male character who's like into UFOs and shit and is like aliens are real. And you get Scully, who's the complete opposite of that. But she never dismisses him. She like she rolls her eyes sometimes. She's like, oh, I don't know about that. That sounds stupid. But she's never like, you're totally wrong. And this is wrong. Maybe in like the, the really early days when she's, you know, hasn't been exposed to like all this weird shit that they're exposed to later on. Yeah. Um, but she's never that character who's just like, oh gosh, you're so weird. Like it's, <laughs> and I think that that's what makes yeah. people really like them together is because they complement each other and but never fight against each other, character wise or just vibe storytelling wise. I think that's probably it. Yeah. No, I think that that's. I mean, I I think that's that feels right to me. I I think about you know their everything you're talking about in terms of television tropes of the water and oil of a man and a woman, the, the moonlighting, the, whatever it is where everyone's just like, well, they're obviously going to end up in bed together at some point. This show seems pretty hellbent on the fact that these two are not going to end up in bed together. Yeah. Now they, they kiss a couple times, (laughs) but like that idea I think is sort of what you're, which as an audience we recognize, which is that we want it, but we know the show is never going to give it to us as opposed to these other tropes that you're talking about, which is that there's an inevitability to it mm. that makes it boring. Cause you're just like, well, just fucking do it already then. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think there's something to that. Um, I think there's also just, it's clear that these two actors love each other as well. And I don't mean that yes. romantically necessarily, but just like that there's, there is a, there's a real adoration for each other that feels palpable as well. Um, which I think is, is interesting. I mean, the, 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 the series has, I think, uh, outlasted itself. It's, 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 it's gone down various rabbit holes. It's, had two movies and two revivals. Um, you know, I, did you watch both revivals out of curiosity? I did. Okay. I did watch them. I watched the first one. I didn't watch the second one. I wasn't into it. I just, and I don't know if it's because, oh, well, I know why it's because I, I know why <laughs> yeah. I wasn't into it. I wasn't into it. And I've said this to friends before, just like talking about this. Uh, the X-Files to me needs to be, it. it it's not the X-Files if it's not filmed in like 1993 in Vancouver <laughs> with just like a you know grainy texture, there's just there's no. I couldn't get into the new stuff just because it was too slick, yeah. 
And it was also really self-referential to a point where I was just like, look, the people who are watching this are fans of the show already. Like, it's fine. You don't have to do this. Um, but yeah, that was, that's my little mini. It does, it does <laughs> feel a little bit like, <clears throat> and I, I don't want to speak too broadly, but I'm going to, which is that it does feel like at a certain point, the creators of these things forget or maybe don't ever know what it is that their audience loves about the show. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they get sort of lost inside the show a little bit too much or inside the notions of what it could be or, or what have you. It's just, it feels like Chris Carter lost the thread perhaps a little while ago. Yeah. And, and I mean, I actually quite like the first movie. I actually think it's a pretty good movie, all, all things considered. Fight the Future? Yeah, Fight the Future. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And, and, and does something successfully that I don't know any show has done, which is a movie in the middle of its run that actually <laughs> bridges two seasons of television. Like, that's unheard of and yeah. does it pretty successfully. Um, so, I, the, the, I mean, obviously the show did so many things wildly successfully. I don't mean to, to belabor its, its failures or, or some of its weaknesses. But, um, but I, I do think that, you know, the thing that hit me the most watching this episode in particular uh, is the Twin Peaks of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, a show that I think this show is quite indebted to. If, if for no other reason, the tone, like this episode in particular somehow threads that balance of creepy and playful, which is kind of impossible to do. And this show does that really well, or this episode anyway. And Twin Peaks obviously did that very well as, as well. The score, I was just like, wow, this is this is a straight up Twin Peaks score. Like it's crazy that they but but first of all, I guess what are your feelings on Twin Peaks? And do you see sort of this the, the connections between the two? Huge Twin Peaks head. I love that show so much. I'm always like every now and then I'm always like, oh I should should rewatch Twin Peaks. Like cause and it, yeah. and it's not even that long too. So I like I, you know, you could do it in like a month probably. Uh but yeah, I'm always sort of in the mood to to revisit. But yeah, I do agree that it's very it's very much like two outsiders coming into a community and then seeing how absurd and strange it is. Mm-hmm. Uh and also getting at this like you know, there's something bad and potentially deadly going on, but we're having a good, you know, we're having fun. We're playing around. We're wearing our little Lacoste sweater vests and like giving ourselves little names. Uh, no, it's totally delightful. It's, it's interesting because in its own way, it actually sort of feels like Mulder and Scully are kind of the two sides of Agent Cooper. <laughs> they they kind of took Agent Cooper and split him into two people, yeah. um, because Cooper is obviously very buttoned up and very sort of questioning and skeptical to some degree, but he also kind of buys into any kooky, crazy thing that might also be possible. He's such a good character because he's always like ready to to just sort of be like, okay, yes, now this is going mm, interesting. He's never like, what the heck is going on in this town? Yeah. He's like, just give me coffee and I'll. Yeah. You know. Give me coffee some, and cherry pie, yeah. Do right. some investigating and mostly just kind of bop around. <laughs> and talking to a dictaphone. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I totally agree. Um, so <clears throat> uh, from a production perspective, this episode was written by a first-year staff writer of the show, Daniel Arkin, who was inspired by the fact that in 91, he moved into a uh, uptight planned community in Greenwich Village. Mm-hmm. 
And he moved in late at night and they fined him $1,000 for breaking the codes of their community. And he kind of kept that in the back of his head as like a potential thing. And and obviously this episode is loosely based on that. Mm. Um, I guess it was originally a metaphorical boogeyman. And then Chris Carter suggested this sort of Tulpa myth thing. <clears throat> like to make it an actual monster. Yeah. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the monster itself? We don't um, see it very clearly. <laughs> no, it's very like, I mean, it's very swamp thing, but I guess covered in blood. I don't, it was hard for me to really figure out what, what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> I also realized halfway through while I was watching this, I was like, I, there's like a growing theme of me on this podcast coming in to talk about things about people moving into houses with problems. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> smart house is kind of the same. Thing. It sort of is. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, this monster, which apparently was a real production nightmare for them because oh, they kidding. couldn't, they couldn't make it look good is ultimately what it comes down to. Right. This is something that if I'm being honest, we, we, we struggled. I don't want to say struggled, but we, we with, with sleepy hollow, we had that too, which is, you spend a lot of money on these monsters, you put them in front of a camera, and then all of a sudden you're like, no, that looks like a guy in a suit. Like, there's mm-hmm. just kind of only so much you can do, which is why I think... So they had a couple names for this on set for this monster. Uh, Gumby on steroids, Mr. <laughs> Butterworth, Fecal Fred, and the Shit Monster. All of which I think are amazing. Um, so I think that ultimately it just looked like a guy in a suit. So, which is why it's very dark... You really can't glean what it is. Um, it looked like bugs to me, I thought, the first time. Yeah. But then it's, I guess it's kind of just soil. It's is dirt. What it's, dirt. It turns into <laughs> dirt at the end. It's dirt guy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of amazing how uh, they cheat it, uh, which, I I, was which gonna, I'm totally fine with. If I was going to summon a monster and I got the <laughs> dirt guy, I would be pissed. Yeah. I mean, the Dirk is pretty effective, though. He's been been pretty effective at what what he needs to do. Uh, Yeah. What does he do? Does he just suck people into the ground? I I mean, I thought he killed uh, Big Mike. Yeah. Because that's a lot of blood. But then Big Mike definitely something happened. I'm not. I'm not clear as to how it kills people, or quite frankly, what happened to the Kleins. Which is the other thing, the, the main couple, or at least that's our sort of, our case of the week is this couple at the top of the episode that get killed, uh, kidnapped. They get got, they get dirted. <laughs> <laughs> they get dirted, they get dirted, good. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't really know. I thought. Kind of amazing. It's sort of, it's almost setting up like a. I mean, and I'm sure they don't have the budget for this nearly, but like one of those things where like they go down into the sewers and they find like, um, like mimic when they yeah, find like yeah, the yeah. people in the cocoons and shit, like getting, yeah. you know, that's what you expect to happen, but it totally. just doesn't go there. <laughs> you expect that this monster is feeding on them or doing something to its victims. Yeah. We understand it becomes clear pretty early on that the, the guy that runs this community is, is wielding some sort of a creature at his behest, right? <laughs> like some, right. Like it's, it's, it seems like that's what's going on. Um, but to not understand what the monster is physically doing with the bodies and with its victims is a little weird. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, they kind of throw this away, but like big Mike was living in the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was just like, I just got to go. I got to go down there. He's like, I've been down there. And and then you're like, so wait, was Big Mike the one that dragged the dog into the sewer? <laughs> Look, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I mean to there. pick this apart because <laughs> I really do think that like for the 42 minutes of this episode, I was in. Like it totally yeah. worked. And it's only when you kind of look under the hood and you're like, wait a second. What, it's one of those that's like, happening? it's so entertaining that it sort of yeah. tricks you into thinking, into like ignoring the fact yeah. that the story is just not really there. <laughs> so the episode opens, as we mentioned, with these two people getting dirted, um, the clients. <laughs> the clients. Um, and then, um, <laughs> but in classic like cold open X-Files where it's like, you know, weird little town that we don't really get. Everything seems a little too idyllic, very blue velvet, very sort of mm-hmm. like what's, what's going on. Um, the blue velvet thing actually is very, like there's a lot of that dirt underground seediness yeah. that exists and all that. Um, late at night, the Kleins get dirted. <laughs> um, there's a scream, blah, blah, blah. X-Files opening. Great credits. They, they're so dated Best. and I love them so much. They're so good. There, like the, the weird jump cutty kind of like post stuff, video thing. It's great. There's no like coherent, like cohesive narrative through the credits either. It's just like, what's an, <laughs> like, what's a like clip art that we can use that we don't have yes. to buy? Can we like, stretch a man's face? face? <laughs> <laughs> that's the one, that's probably what kept me from watching the show, I think, because I saw that when I was a child. I was like, nope, nope, nope. I'm out. Yeah. I'm not no, doing it's, that. It's, <laughs> It's can we stretch a man's face? Can we stretch a body? Uh-huh. There's there's a lot of stretching going on. <laughs> that's um, and that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, that's creepy. And then there's this weird staccato shot of them looking at something, and they don't. We don't know what they're looking at. It's, it's from an episode. It's like from episode six or seven of the first season too. Because I remember watching that episode recently, and being like, "Oh, that's the credit shot." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, so this is as a fan, you know this that there are different phrases that show up in the credits. Yes, the truth is out there. The truth is out there, which is the majority of the episodes. But then there's like there's like 50 episodes that have different things. Yeah, that pop and it up. gets it gets very like alieny yeah, later yeah. on or like I don't know, later, but it like all speaks to two, the three, four. Yeah. What is the one that's like obfuscate something something it's like three words and it's they're all like SAT words. Like, <laughs> hold on because there's actually oh hold on I will uh I'll hold because they're, they're kind of amazing. They're really uh, it, like, kind of creepy and weird i really love i love that they do that they sort of switch it up so i'm not going to read them all because there's a bunch but it's trust (laughs) no one deny everything apology is policy everything (laughs) dies believe the lie all lies lead to the truth um there's one here that i thought was pretty great uh you see what you want to see a war is never over yeah and then I want to be beautiful. Anyway, yeah. So there's just there's just a lot of different things that pop up in the credits, which which is great. Yeah, um, it's sort of it's so, another one of those like feeding the fandom sort of things too. I feel like where they're like, oh, let's put some weird little words in there totally. and see if they can make a, a conspiracy wall. Out. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. This is also the beginning of message boards, mm-hmm. so which is a big part of why this show is what it is, right? Which is that it's the beginning of internet you know, um, communities that are kind of brought together around a thing. This is sort of the tip of the spear at that. 
And it's sort of about those communities as well, too. Like it's Mm -hmm. drawn from like people who like obsessives who, you know, find these things and like people who make, you know, Mothman (laughs) websites and stuff like that. Like that's sort of what it's feeding off of, which is really cool. It's a very cool cyclical relationship. Yeah, I mean, another way that this show was sort of groundbreaking is in that way. You know, fan bases existed before this, obviously. That goes without saying. But the internet really allows this show to become what it becomes. Mm -hmm. It allows these people to really go down the rabbit hole. And obviously, we still see that today. Um, But it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating to think about a bunch of teens and 20-somethings on dial-up in the early (laughs) 90s, just, you know, waxing you know, uh, conspiracy there is about this, this show. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. That's, that one must've been fun. I, God, I wish I it could. It must've been a blast, right? If I had a time machine, I'd go back <laughs> just a few years <laughs> when the internet was not as fast, but maybe better than it is today. Oh, not as and toxic. Just, that's for sure. Oh God. Um, so, <laughs> so as we mentioned earlier, uh, Mulder and Scully are sent to investigate the client's disappearance to go undercover as, as married new homeowners, Rob and Laura Petrie, which is a Petrie. nod to the Petrus, which is a nod <laughs> to the Mary Tyler Moore show, which was the name of their the characters. Yeah. Um, the, the sort of the idea of, and this has been done since, but the putting the will they, won't they couple into a situation where they have to pretend that they're married is a trope now. Yeah. But at the time, my God, it must have just been like catnip to these oh to the God. fans. Losing their freaking minds. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's just it's it's awesome. Um I love the fact that so Scully, for reasons that are a little bit unknown, <laughs> pulls out a camcorder and starts recording the space. For exposition. For exposition. But it's actually, it is a smart way to do expo, which is that it gets, she's walking around with the video camera and she's dumping all of the backfilling, all the stuff we need to know going yeah. into the episode. Smart. It's funny that she's doing it as they've like half moved in. Like what are, what yes. information are you gathering from? You're just, it's your own boxes. <laughs> your video it's, like it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And he's but giving find, little comments and shit. Yeah, it's great. They find some blood on the ceiling fan, or what they think is blood. Mm-hmm. Again, we'll get to why that makes no sense, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> then we meet Gene Gogolak. Um, <laughs> what a name. Uh, who's the head of this, of this homeowners association. Uh, and he has this dinner with everybody, and then he shoes the women away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because what does he say? There's like a line that he says. Oh gosh, I can't remember what it is, but it's like a code line, and they're like, "Well, I they're like, oh, that's our cue. That. That's the, that's what we need to leave now." My compliments to the chef. That's what he says, and the women yeah. just get up and clean the dishes. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I mean, it's kind of great in the sense that it feels like a nod. This community feels like a nod to 50s, 60s patriarchy, mm-hmm. kind of what have you. Um, sort of the vibe that like McMansions even today have is like the the sanctuaries for the housewives while the husbands go on their whatever they do, summoning demons and shit. <laughs> it's that same sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Um, I, I do love the next morning, Mulder and Scully are talking to their neighbors. And Mulder says, they ask what they did last night. And Mulder says, we just spooned up like cats. Isn't that right, honey bunch? And then Scully says, that's right, poopy head. And it's just, 
the way she says poopy head, which she cannot look anyone in the eye while she says it. No. Like she's just, it's killing her to even pretend this. It's great. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I, think, I think he has a line and I think he's like joking, but he does have a line where he's like, you fit in really well here. And I'm like, that's not true. You're the one. <laughs> Who's like really going for it with all your yeah. outfits and just talking to the yeah. neighbors? She's sitting there like stewing, <laughs> angry. Yeah, exactly. So um, <clears throat> then we have the sort of the uh, Scully goes for a walk with their neighbor's wife to mm-hmm. walk the dog. The dog gets away. It runs into the storm drain. The storm drain stuff made me think of it. Yep. Um, just them like crawling in this, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and the fact that we see a creature living or what we think is a creature living in the sewers, which is then related to be Mike. I I don't know. Uh, I I still don't really get what he's doing in the sewers, but, um, (laughs) but whatever. Uh, so this blood, oh, sorry. Uh, there's a scene where Mulder and Scully, more Scully is getting ready for bed. Mm Mm-hmm. That is phenomenal. She yells at him for the toothpaste. (laughs) She yells at him for the toilet seat. (laughs) She comes out with the mask on her face and freaks him out. He's like, oh, God. He's like, oh, God. (laughs) Um, It's great. That scene, for me, is the best scene of the episode because it's just, it shows how... It shows their personalities mm-hmm. about the things that he cares and doesn't care about, but it also plays into obviously some gender stereotypes, which is also kind of funny in its own way too. Yeah. Um, he motions for her to get into bed with him. <laughs> He's very playful, but you almost get the impression that he kind of hopes that she might take him up on it, but knows that she won't. Yeah. Uh, he leaves to see by saying his care. He's always been yeah. He's very and she's you know they're comfortable enough with each other that he like he knows that. She's not going to do it, but he does it anyway, just because it's fun for her to just be like, gross. It's great. It's great. And he leaves the scene by saying the spark is gone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Um, But yeah, so then this is when Mulder, to your point, really kind of his antics get like he dials everything up, which is he's trying to see how far he can push people Mm -hmm. to see like what they'll do. Um, and he puts a plastic flamingo on the front lawn. He like breaks the mailbox, all of this while sitting in the vestibule or the foyer of the house, spying on people to see if they'll do something. Now, here's a question for you. He drinks a carton of orange juice. (laughs) Yeah. And then I honestly think he considers peeing in the carton so he's he doesn't opening have to, it he's opening it and he's like <laughs> is this guy gonna pee into the orange juice box so he doesn't have to leave his stakeout he doesn't miss what whatever they do to the mailbox yeah no and that's then, absolutely what he was gonna do but then the best part is he goes to pee and when he comes back he missed the person so he was yeah. right to consider it yeah he should have he should have done it he should have gone for it <laughs> <laughs> it's bizarre um So, yeah, I mean, basically, the the rest of this is. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. They figure out that it's not blood, but that it's dirt and grime and dirt that the, grime. this town is built on like a um a landfill and that it's a garbage monster or so they think it's a garbage monster and then it's it is a garbage monster it's like um i can't remember the name but there's a mon- there's a godzilla antagonist monster that's yeah it's called a just- topa or uh-huh. a tibetan thought form have you seen the empty man I have not. Oh my god! Okay. I'm a baby. <laughs> well, they they summon the empty man in this episode. I'll say that. For the any empty man I hear is man. really scary, right? The empty it's, man is really scary. It's pretty freaky. I mean, there are moments when it's scary, but it's mostly like vibes. Like it's really not. Okay. It's not okay. like Saw or like The Conjuring or anything like that. It's like it's just weird. It's great. I recommend. All right, I'll check out the empty. So they, they they conjure the empty man. Is it basically a similar creature? <laughs> sort of, yeah, they do the tulpa thing in the empty man too. Or it's like okay. the more you think about it, the more powerful it is. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it's so. To, to, Mulder figures out that uh, Gogolak went to like the Far East for his company which is called mm-hmm. Pier 9 Imports, which is clearly a joke on Pier 1 Imports. Yeah. Or it's like Malaysia or something. And then he comes back. I think it's Malaysia. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it is. Anyway, long story short, Gogolak uses this, mytho- this sort of Far Eastern mythology to bring this creature to bear on this town so that people don't break the rules of this community. Yeah. It's all him, which is weird because it seems like at the beginning of the episode, it seems like it's going to be the monster that's controlling the people. Right. But it's just this weird control freak who's like, everyone needs to follow the rules in my little binder or they're, I'm going to get, they're going to get dirted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, truly, that's really ultimately what happens. Um, and then at the end, so Big Mike comes back. Thank God. Because I love Big Mike. God. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of Abraham uh, Ben. Uh, how do you say his last name? My apologies. I, I have it here. Uh, uh, ben Ruby, mm. who was on ER as well. Uh, shout out to ER. Um, but he comes back to protect Scully from the Tulpa. Yeah. Somehow but, he knows. But something. So then it 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 really. And forgive me, because like this is just this is the nature of television shows like this, but. The big action scene that happens in the house when Scully is is locked inside a closet so that we can't really see what's going on. Some of those classic, like with the little slats too, where she can look (laughs) and see, but it's only her. She can only see like feet (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like hear gunshots and how convenient that we can't see or really surmise what's going Hmm. on. Um, And then we don't know what happens to Big Mike, by the way. He unloads a, a gun on this creature. We have no idea what happens to him. Um, 
and then Mulder's outside, and then the creature essentially kills Gogolak and then yeah. turns to dirt. And the episode's over. That's no it. Questions, no questions asked. Yeah, no, no. Community still thriving. <laughs> yeah, it like won another award, I think they say at the end. <laughs> Just like, what? Uh, I want to know what happened to the lawn flamingo personally. I was pretty invested in that. That great great shot where he puts it, where he like sticks it in, and then there's like that goes up like him, and he's looking very like heroic, and he's like, bring it on. Great. It's great. It's great. It's, I mean, this is a perfect example of the vibe of this episode, the humor of this episode, the themes of this episode are all great. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in for all of them. And it, it, it sh- you just, you just can't really put it under a microscope because if you do, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Yeah. But it rides on the humor. It rides on obviously the potential of, of the Mulder and Scully pretending that they're married thing. Um, and, and it, it's just, it's, it's pretty fucking clever, all things considered. Yeah. Um, how it, it's sort of playing with a lot of the stuff. It feels like a nod to the fans, honestly, in a way that's sure. not insulting. Because I know shows have kind of done that before. Mm-hmm. But in a way that's like, I think there's some, maybe it's in Supernatural. They have a character who's like a crazy like fan fiction writer. And it's sort of just like, oh, this is how you see us. That's not very nice. <laughs> um but this episode is sort of is not doing that. It's very much like, oh, what if we ooh, we're gonna put them together? What about that? And then the fans are, you know, foaming at the mouth. <laughs> so you bring up Supernatural, <laughs> which is an interesting uh, which is another show that obviously indebted to this show. But mm-hmm. so that show, which also ran for an exceedingly long time. Fifteen seasons. Fifteen. Thanks. Fifteen seasons at like yeah. twenty-two episodes a season. Most of that show is Monster of the Week, right? Yes. Angel of the week. <laughs> Demon of the week. <laughs> sure, Demon of the week, sure. Um, I don't... How did that show keep itself afloat? And I'm, I'm not saying that with any judgment. Why did that? <laughs> yeah. But like, how did that... I mean, that's so many episodes. That's a lot. Know. It's probably one of the last shows to, to do that, I'd imagine. I don't think there's really yeah. many others right now going for that long with that yeah, sort of effort. Yeah. <laughs> I well, truly and, don't know. I stopped watching it maybe six or seven seasons in. I did watch the final episode, which was a weird experience because I had no clue who anybody was except for like the two main characters. Sure, sure, sure. right. And they're all like saying these like very important lines and shit. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's, so that would lead one to believe that there was a mythology that yeah, oh, started yeah. to kick in at a certain point. Well, all, every season is like, they. every season ends with like, the apocalypse happening like that's how they do it every single time and it just gets a little bit samey after a while like sorry supernatural i'm sure this is really gonna impact i mean it's over (laughs) um but it's yeah it's very much like the stakes are sort of they they build up to this like climax but it's the same climax for Mm -hmm. 15 seasons um but yeah they do a lot of like there's some like backstory with the the brothers and their family that comes into play. Yeah, the father, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's you know the, a lot of characters. There's a lot of like ensemble like secondary characters who reappear many many times, and there's always like something happening. I don't know, but yeah, they do that pretty much season by season. They do this the mythology stuff. I so 
here, so the supernatural <laughs> thing I think is interesting too, because supernatural revolves around two brothers. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a shark in the sense that the show is constantly moving. They're in a car driving around the United States, fighting demons, and yeah. but the 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 motion of that show. Um, and that's does make it hard to plant roots in terms of other supporting characters or love interests for that matter. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of it's just fascinating to me. And again, I've, I've, I think I saw, I watched the pilot of Supernatural, and I think that's all that I watch. But it's not to say that I didn't enjoy it; I just didn't stick with it. But first two um, seasons are actually are very good, I'd say. I, people yeah, love the I show. I mean, no yeah. no judgment on people who love the show. But I do I do wonder like 15 seasons of a show that's constantly moving that has essentially no roots planted seems absolutely crazy to me and yet obviously it worked. So I mean, who the fuck am I? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think it just it has a lot of moving parts, not and not just like them moving around but like all this other stuff happening. And I think like the fact that it's like angels and demons who can sort of appear wherever they want to be rather than having characters stick to, you know, their place helps that like helps it kind of keep a cast together. Whereas like a show that's moving um, constantly would probably be a lot more episodic than, than mythological. Sure. And, and, you know, to, to bring it back to the, to the X-Files, I think one of the myriad of things the show does really well is, I mean, it's a conspiracy government show, right? So you have an organization that is this that, that is looming over this entire show, and the tentacles that that come off of that gives you such a sort of giant canvas to play with. And yet, at the same time, you always have HQ, you always have the FBI, you always have sort of that place that's that's kind of locked and loaded that gives you um, that sense of 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 just that solid nucleus to work from. Yeah. Um, is again another reason why this show is so brilliant, but also why I think whether you like the mythology or not, I think that it's it's fertile ground and it's smart in the way that it's so sort of giant and that the reach of it is so large. They do that sort of creepy, like a lot of episodes end with their cases getting shut down by like some higher like force um, in whatever FBI or you know even higher than that. Uh, there's I wish always, you could like, all have seen Emma gesticulating with her arms here. Just, but yes, yeah. <laughs> for the Patreon I subscribers, I do yeah, it. Yeah, for the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the uh, like, I don't know if you've encountered. Well, I, I think you have probably encountered the cigarette smoking man by now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he's like mm-hmm. never named. Never named. Uh, but he's always around. He's always sort of like in the corner smoking, and like he has, he says something sometimes, and then you're like, oh, that must be important, but you don't really know what his deal is. And then he was, said, so he was called the cancer man for some time until people got yes. offended by that and they were like Maybe. call him the cigarette smoker <laughs> call him the cancer man <laughs> yeah. but then like uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum you get um, oh my gosh the lone gunman who are these sort of like internet conspiracy theory types speaking again directly to the fans but in a non you know insulting way <laughs> even though these guys are like pretty weird but they're still like, you know, this is this is the type that the show attracts and we love them and we appreciate them. That's sort of that's what that's doing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's you know, you bring up Lone Gunman. Um, I, I think it's worth noting that that none of the spin-offs, the Lone Gunman spin-off didn't work, quote unquote didn't mm-hmm. work. Um, which which and I don't say that 
what I think is interesting, my grander point here is that none of the Chris Carter shows, Harsh Realm, Millennium, or Alone Gunman, um, succeeded based on the metrics of broadcast television at the time. Mm. Now, I mean, Jesus, I'm surprised we don't have like five or six spinoffs of the X-Files on Hulu or any number of other places. <laughs> and that's, and again, I, I know that sounds like I'm judging. I'm not. I just think it's interesting that one of the great things about the television landscape that we have right now is that you can be so specific and finite with your shows and you can really aim them at a dedicated million people or 5 million people. And that's fine, right? Like the streamers and even the broadcast shows now are fine with that because of the various ways that they can aggregate viewers. Um, That's exciting. Now, admittedly, it leads to so much television that we can't possibly watch all of it, but it's just to see the inverse of it back then where it's like, how could the lone gunman show not work? Like how could that show not be, I, I, you know, and maybe it's because those guys and by those three characters are just better in small doses and people just like them as sort of the, the cut twos as opposed to having an entire show of their own. I don't know. I, I didn't watch it, so I can't speak to it. But did you watch The Lone Gunman? I didn't. Uh, okay. I, maybe I should just try it just to see if I like it. I don't it know. It might be great. It might be great. Yeah. It might just be <laughs> the people who are wrong. Yeah. Um, and it, it might <laughs> have just finished. Yeah. I think like uh, to your point, like I do think that some parts, like the whole Mulder and Skull are just so two like very electric characters, very engaging characters. And I do think that the side characters that they, that come back regularly in the show play off of them so well that it just feels really special whenever there's an episode like, Oh, there's, Oh, they're the long, Oh, they're here. They're in this episode. Oh, yay. Like right. it, it, it feels like a treat. Whereas like a show that's just about them would just be like, oh, okay, well then it's them all the time. Like maybe it's a little bit less special. It, it seems. So I'm just looking at the, at the wiki for it. Um, it, it, so it premiered in, in March of, uh, of 2001, they aired 13 episodes of it. It premiered to 13 million viewers. Um, and ultimately it dipped down to three <laughs> and mm. that's when they were like, bye. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it was also, so it was, it's created by four X-Files writers. It's Chris Carter, Vince Gilligan, John Scheiben, and Frank Spotnitz, all obviously enormous wow. writers in their own right now, yeah. um, which is fascinating in and of its own right. Uh, I, 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 I have not watched the show. I don't know. But my guess is it's probably great. <laughs> my it's guess probably, is that, yeah, like I can't think that it would be terrible. Come on. Yeah, w- with those writers and with the potential of that show, my guess is that if I watched The Lone Gunman right now, I'd be like, this show should have run for 20 years. Like, I, I don't know why this didn't work. I wonder if it's streaming anywhere, if I have to like... I, I hope that it is. Buy it. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be streaming somewhere, right? I mean, I, I I assume that it is. I, I'm looking it up uh, so okay. that uh, it's on Amazon. Um, uh, so and the pilot's on YouTube. Okay. Um, so there's there's definitely places to to find it. I, I'm. This is just sort of this just speaks to the, a different time in television. And I, I think it's kind of fascinating. Millennium had its fans, but that show was quite dark. Mm. Um, it did run for a few seasons and it certainly had critical acclaim. So I don't mean to suggest that that show wasn't successful. And there are a lot of fans of Harsh Realm as well, which is conceptually a pretty great, like a pretty crazy premise for a show. <laughs> um, did you watch Harsh Realm when it was on? I didn't watch Harsh Realm. I think I watched a couple of episodes of Millennium, but that was right. still like back when I was sort of like, 
not, I wasn't a regular TV watcher until, you know, relatively recently. (laughs) Right. It's just, it's, it's one of those things where Chris Carter's, I just, I kind of wish that he was embraced more outside of the X-Files stuff that he did at the time, because he really was a fascinating TV figure and had those things popped I think there just would have been a, a really interesting empire and, and a kind of like, I think of the world where like Chris Carter is Ryan Murphy. And I'm just like, that's kind of an amazing thing. Now, admittedly that didn't happen, but it's just fascinating to me that like people really latched on to Mulder and Scully. That was their thing. We fucking love these two and we're going to ride them into the sunset and we don't give a shit what they're doing and what they're up to. Um, but any anything that Chris Carter kind of did outside of it, people were like, mm. <laughs> I'm just like yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's that they expected X Files, and then it wasn't X Files, and they're like, well, this isn't as good. I don't know. No, no, for sure. It's just it's it's interesting at a time in the television landscape where a David E. Kelly exists in 1999 mm-hmm. with like literally like six television shows on the air. He's writing every episode of them, and people are just like, "Give me more!" <laughs> and you're just like, "But why? Why Chris Carter? Fuck off!" I don't know. I just don't get it. Maybe it was too specific. Like maybe it was like too weird, and it just the it fan base yeah. just wasn't big enough to justify totally. continuing. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. Um, so I, I we talked about Arcadia. I want what do you have a favorite episode of the X Files? Do you have a favorite couple episodes? Can you walk me through some of those as we wrap up? Okay. I have two equally favorite episodes. Okay. The first one that I, I usually this is the one that I usually say is my favorite to people. And people who know me are like, oh of course it freaking is. <laughs> uh is a War of the Coprophages. Have you watched this one? I don't know that one. No. I can't walk remember me through I, it. I can't remember which season either of these episodes are in. I'm a bad fan. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But any fans who know the show will know this one. It's about... Um, I'm sorry, what's the title of it again? I'm going to pull it up. Just War of the Coprophages. C-O-P-R-O. Yep, yep. I got it. Yep. Yep. 1996. Cockroaches. Of course it is. Of course I like this episode because I'm talking about bugs. And... <laughs> It also is like a primo, like uh, Mulder flirt episode because he meets this like hot entomologist woman <laughs> who kind of dresses like um, Laura Dern in Jurassic Park. And he's just so enamored with her and also like kind of taken aback by the fact that she's really hot, but she loves to study these gross bugs. Bugs, sure. An amazing episode. There is legitimately a shot where... Uh, on the screen, you see a bug crawl across the screen as if there's one on your television. Like they do that. That's fucking great. Do you I know remember- what the name of the character is, by the way? The name of this character that he's in love with? Isn't it Bunny? It's Bambi, Bambi. Baron Bomb. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. It's also, I mean, it should surprise no fans, obviously, that, that Darren Morgan wrote this episode, who is one of the most beloved writers on the X-Files because his episodes, were, he's also the only one to win an Emmy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's very consistently are, yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. He's, you know, everyone, everyone loves, loves him, loves his stuff. He's great. He does a lot of the really, really good standalones, I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's, he, he's, yeah, he's the guy who really understands how to do a standalone bottle in a way that is uh, so specifically this show. Yeah. Um, and what was your what was your second favorite? 
The second favorite is the postmodern Prometheus. Okay. Uh, which is a sort of a Frankenstein episode. And I think it's entirely in black and white. Oh, wow. Um, and they sort of do like a hammer horror, like homage a little bit with like, you know, weird like angles and shit. Uh, and then the thing about the monster in that episode is that he loves Cher. Uh, and there are two, I think, two Cher songs in the episode. Hold on. I need to this up. You have to watch the... Uh, I-, I think I love both of these because they're so playful and they're so fun. And particularly in Postmodern Prometheus, it's the sort of episode where like the monster turns out to not be like a bad guy. It's just a weird thing. <laughs> There's a picture <laughs> here that says Scully and Mulder and the great Mutanto <laughs> go to a share concert. <laughs> yep. That's the end. They go see share at the end. And you see her like from the back, like obviously it's not her, but it's like someone in, in a big wig. Oh, good. See yeah. this now. I just fuck. Now I gotta like watch all of the X Files. This is what you've done to me. Is now I have to go watch all the X Files. I mean, how it's, terrible! How terrible for you? No, I know what, what what a terrible existence. No, it's just it's it really was so bold. Is kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that and and obviously Arcadia does this, and and you know we're obviously speaking of this particular episode and and its boldness, but like that this show created a canvas so brilliantly where you can do just the two episodes that you've described that can, that those two episodes can exist on a show and not seem completely insane and not seem completely outside the norm is such a gift. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's the show. It's a show that is built on weird stuff made sort of gleaned from weird people like the all the urban legend stuff that loves the fact that it's so like it's it's if it wasn't so popular it would be like underground and just you know strange and like oh what's the x-files never heard of that and of course it's one of the most popular shows ever uh but i think that that's because it embraces how strange it is, but also has this very familiar format that like anyone can watch and enjoy. I, I, I totally agree. And, and and I feel like basically every day I wonder what 90s quote unquote artifact Gen Z is going to discover and all mm-hmm. of a sudden is going to like take over Twitter. And I'm just like, the X-Files is inevitable. At no, some point... Can't wait for them to find at it. At some point, TikTok is going to be like, this this Mulder and Scully thing. You guys are like, what are... And, and then, you know, all of a sudden it becomes, you know, rejuvenated all over again, which I think is is very possible. It'd be like um, Skinner fan cams and stuff like on Twitter. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it does feel as though Gillian Anderson has understandably been put on a pedestal as like the goddess of, of yeah. everything. Um, you know, but uh, it's, and I, I imagine she probably wins an Emmy this year for, for uh, the crown, which she's tremendous in, but um, thank you so much for coming oh, on to talk oh. about the X-Files. This was so much fun. If you ever want to do another one, I'm down. No, believe me, like we're definitely, we're, listen, we're definitely going to cover more episodes of the show. Um, but, you know, I wanted to bring you on. This is also part of uh, the month of October. We're doing all Halloween. So <gasps> this is going to be part of one of our sort of Halloween episodes. Um, and I'm curious because next week <laughs> we're doing an episode on Slipknot, um, the band. 
And I'm curious if you have thoughts on Slipknot. If you have thoughts on on that, I mean, not just Slipknot, but like, you know, your insane clown posse and the various <laughs> sort of like fucking bizarro bands that manifested uh, in 99. Yeah. That ha- like, they were kind of, like, they were enormous. Like, corn, all this shit. Like, w- w- do you, do you, do you have thoughts on these bands? I do not listen to the music of these bands. Regularly. <laughs> I, I'm not expecting you to have. <laughs> yeah, are you a huge Slipknot fan? Yeah, are you a big Slipknot like fan? A big corn fan. Uh, I, I'm not a fan. I well, okay. My first boyfriend in high school loves. Oh God. Loved loves. I don't know Slipknot. He had like six Slipknot t-shirts, which is funny because it's the same logo and the same font every single time. So it's just that. In, I guess, different colors, <laughs> but he had them. Uh, but no, I've, I've, that's, so, that's my only. Here's, no, no, no. And I think that makes, that makes complete sense. I, I do have to ask, was his love of Slipknot one of the reasons that you were drawn to him? Did you think that, did you think that, well, because a person who loves a cool, Slipknot like, is a guy. very specific person. He's <laughs> an old guy. You said it, not me. But I mean, is because I guess the thing about these bands, and it's something that we'll obviously expand upon in, in the episode on Slipknot, is that so much of it is the artifice around the band, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the accoutrement and the stupidity of the. It's it's really not that different than like Kiss, right? Like yeah, I was just gonna say that right? sort of they build again. It's mythology building, right? It's fandom. It's not just you listen to the music. It's you know all this weird, like, the, all the factoids about, like, the, the right. stuff, the storyline behind the band. Yeah, no, I get it. It's, it's all just sort of this weird stuff on the periphery. And then the music itself is, is just, is pop music, but just growled and yelled. Yeah, loud. <laughs> the stuff that my parents wouldn't like. Yes. Stuff that I don't really like. <laughs> Sorry, to slip not. No, no, no. I mean, listen. I'm not. I'm. It's just. It's. It's an interesting little weird thing. You know, mm-hmm. having just watched the 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 Woodstock '99 documentary, which kind of dives into the the Limp Biscuit, yeah. kick rock kind of weird rap rock awfulness that existed <gasps> around that time, and and perhaps the MAGA thing that grew out of it. Like, there's a bunch of really gross, toxic, terrible stuff that came out of it. Insane Clown Posse somehow feels to me in its own way like it's winky. Like it's almost like we know that this is stupid. Yeah. We know that like our fans are called like, what are they called? Like boogaloos or something? Juggalos. Juggalos. And they have the gathering every year. And the whole thing about that is that like it's a place of like acceptance, Mm -hmm. which I do. I I believe them when they say this. I do think. Yeah. It's just these people who love, I guess they like the music. Or maybe they just like the community around the band and the music is just like, oh, there happens to be music here as well. But yeah. Like fish. Yeah. <laughs> I know so many diehard fish fans. And I don't think I've ever heard a fish song in my entire life. We did an episode on fish, uh, which was we brought on a, a big fish head um, who was a, a, a friend of mine. She was lovely. It was a great episode. It, it expanded my mind on fish. Um, I don't think that Slipknot will have a similar effect, but I just think <laughs> that it is just really, and this actually in its own weird way kind of t- to wrap up does tie back to the X-Files, which is just sort of, this does feel like the 90s were the beginning of really fervent 
fan base stuff of Mm -hmm. building diehard fans. Obviously we've seen that fandom become toxic, but it started from a place it feels like other than, you know, the capitalistic endeavors of it, but it does feel like it was about building communities. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, these companies obviously reaping the benefits of that, but, but I think that the fans felt a love in that sense of community and that idea of like, we have this commonality. We love Mulder and Scully. We love Slipknot, whatever it is. And I think that's, I think it's kind of lovely. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being uh, kumbaya about it, but. It's the sort of like still maybe I get, it's like the dawn of the internet age when the internet was still sort of like a wild west of like, you can be whoever you want. Like you can talk to whoever you want. You can easily find people who love the stuff that you love. And like, that's it. Like there, there wasn't any like, or there was minimal, I guess, uh, sinister aspects to to any of that. Whereas now it's like you look for like, if you're like a fan of something and then you look at it like on Tumblr for too long, then you just start to hate it because like, <laughs> many people are just weird about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was that it was this like very short period of time in the late 90s, early 2000s when it, you could build a community of people mm-hmm. who got along, <laughs> who didn't need, you know, any creepy rules like they have in this neighborhood <laughs> in this episode. Uh, and I think that's like a, an era that people miss a lot. Like I maybe was a little bit too young to realize what was going on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, w- I wasn't really on the internet for a while. I think probably because, you know, my parents just didn't want to expose me to that because sure. they thought, that it wasn't going to be screens all the time. And now it's screens all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that, and uh, to sort of, um, I think that you tapped into something that I think is really interesting, which is that it felt like there was a time when it was about having actual conversations. Mm-hmm. I think that we, we are no longer having conversations about common likes and dislikes or what have you. Having like, arguments. We're having arguments. Like that's <laughs> the problem. Nice. Like, and and I, I don't mean to. I'm, I'm certainly not going to open a whole uh, a whole Pandora's box about this, but I, I think about the discourse that exists about certain shows, certain things that people love, and it's like we've lost the thread here. It's mm-hmm. not about winning and losing. There, we're all going to go on and live our lives. We're all going to like or dislike what we what we have like that in our lives. Like that's fine. Um, it's this idea of, of again, the toxicity of it, where it did feel like it started from a place of, I want to go on a message board and talk about why I love Mulder and Scully, and these people want to do that too. Yeah. And we're going to kind of dissect it and break it down and see the pros and cons and what have you. That's not what it is anymore. And, and mm. that's a bummer, but that's what it is. But it's a great show. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's such a, I don't want to say it's a shame that it's kind of continued to sort of be milked um, you know what I mean? And, and that it's just kind of this, this thing that sort of exists in its own weird way now. But like the, the purity of, of being able to go back to a classic episode with you and to be able to kind of go back to this show in its heyday was, was a joy. And I, I really can't thank you enough for doing that. Oh, thanks. I mean, I love doing this sort of thing. And I love, and shows like this of this sort of era too, it's really easy to do that. Where like, I have a favorite episode or a few favorite episodes of a show like this. Whereas like, you know, now it's just too much. Like I can't concentrate yeah. enough. Yeah. But for the X-Files, I'm ready. 
One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.